Warning, this episode contains details that some listeners may find disturbing. July 10th, 1967, Des Moines, Iowa. 25-year-old mother of three, Leota Camp, is found by her young children, stabbed and bleeding in a small bedroom of the family's home. The case is confusing because there's a lack of evidence and motive, and the attack had to have happened in a matter of minutes between Leota being in the backyard with her children and the short period of time she stepped inside the house before her body was found. The one piece of evidence that gives hope to this brutal, unsolved crime is a neighbor seeing a man driving a dark Mustang who walked up to the camp home around the time of the murder. What has become one of Iowa's most infamous cold cases, the murder of Leota Camp, still haunts her family and friends to this day. This is a study of strange. Welcome to the show. I'm Michael May, and with me again, <laughs> I've gone through my Rolodex now. I'm going back to people. Uh, is Bill Weirdy, a filmmaker and overall very good uh, storyteller? I guess I'll I'll yeah, say. Okay, thanks. I'll yeah. take that. Yeah, I like how you say <laughs> my name Weirdy. It makes it sound a little stranger. It fits in. Oh, nice. <laughs> I didn't do that on purpose. I always question how to say your name, and I've even asked you multiple times, and so I feel like yeah. I get it right. But if I that's my own inflection, it's probably Weirdy because I think it's Irish or. Something like that. But uh, we always just say wordy, like W-O-R-D-Y. Wordy. Okay. Yeah. So I put like a weir in there. Okay. You're like weird. Uh, but you so this, is what ha- little- this is what happens every time we talk about your name, though, is you're like, it's probably this, but it's, yeah. it's your I've, name, Bill. You should I've know tried how to, to look, say it. I've tried to look it up. I found, <laughs> I was trying to look up like family history when I was doing all my Italian citizenship stuff. And uh, you're probably going to cut all this, but I found all these weird spellings and like a lot of them are W-H-E-I-R. There's all this like, yeah, oh, it's weirdness. No, no, no. I'm going to keep that in. So yeah, Bill is uh, going through a process of becoming a dual citizen, right? You're going to yeah. try to, you're, yeah, you're working on his Italian citizenship, uh, which is really, it's really exciting because I want to, yeah. I'll come visit you when you're over there and oh, man, drink espresso and eat some pasta. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, our story today has nothing to do with Italy or pasta, oh, unfortunately. You know, well, remind me after. There's a great story in italy that i would love to do an episode on okay it's this old ufo one where i don't know well, i'll tell you about it later though <laughs> no no now you now you gotta tell me now you gotta keep this well, i gotta in. i gotta look it up it's like um oh. it was like a woman who had this ufo experience in italy where like the, like the actual aliens came out of the ship it's like a whole thing it's from i oh, think wow. a long time ago um maybe 16 or 1700s it's like one of the first oh, like whoa. ufo story kind of things yeah um, there's you like to- there's like drawings of it that look like those like woodblock art pieces kind of thing yeah um i'll, I'll find the link and send it to you because i would love yeah to please please do i've actually i want to do a lot of ufo uh episodes this summer and on that note people i i have been collecting some stories from people that have seen unidentified flying objects or unidentified aerial phenomena so please uh continue to reach out send me an email at a study of strange at gmail.com if you've experienced one because i am putting together some episodes for later this year uh, so on that note, none of uh, none of that relates to our story today. This is very much a a true crime cold case uh, that involves murder. 
and a lot of just strange mystery. So it's yeah. very much a different episode than even your last episode that you were on with A Study of Strange, which was The yeah, Ghost of the Myrtle Plantation. Yeah. So check that out if you like ghosts. But yeah, today is very different. I hadn't done a a true crime story in a while that at least was like more modern because my interests tend to take me farther back in time. Uh, but this story today takes place in the 1960s. So yes, this is uh, the story of Leota Camp. I know that you've done a little bit of research since I told you about the episode, Bill, but had you heard yeah. about this case at all before today? No, like when you mentioned the name of it, I, I assumed it was going to be, I thought Leota Camp was going to be like a military base and that there was like mm. a murder on it. And yeah. when I looked it up, I was like, oh, that's the woman's name. Um, so no, yeah, I didn't, I'm not familiar. Although it is from the Midwest where I'm from. And There you uh, go. There you go. Iowa. Yeah, it, this case reminds me of some other of, of my favorite sort of cold cases, which is there's the Velisca Axe Murder House, okay. which uh, is a it's a murder from like the early 1900s. And it's super weird. And this whole entire family was brutally killed with with an axe. And oh, wow. there really wasn't a motive that anybody can ever figure out. No one was ever caught. There's a bunch of theories that connect and don't connect. There is a, a person that's written a book. There's also been a podcast on it where someone actually has connected the murders to a, a series of murders from someone that was obviously using the trains. Oh. And I, I wasn't going to talk about this, so I don't have any of those names in front of me, but everybody yeah. should. Actually, I think the guy that wrote the book is Moneyball, is the the guy that started oh, doing really? the Moneyball stuff in the 70s with baseball. Yeah, I forget his name right now. It looks like Bill's looking it up, everybody, using the oh, old yeah, um... computer. Uh, Bill James. Bill James oh, okay. is the guy that came up with uh, sort of the the saber metrics is what so it many says. so many bills in the story. And I know today, so many bills I'm, in the story. There, yeah. And I wasn't even uh, going to talk about that at all today. We've <laughs> gone on a big, big tangent at the stop here. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, there's the Velisca story, which is like this weird series of uh, well, the Velisca is one family that was brutally murdered, but there's potential tie into other murders with that one. What and state was that in? That uh, I think Iowa as well is Velisca okay. in Iowa. Yeah, I think so. Don't uh, don't get mad, world out there. If I got that wrong, today's episode is not about that, so I could be getting my facts wrong. But the, that story reminded me of this, where it's bizarre. There's a lack of evidence. There's a lack of motive, but I still feel like it's solvable. But it just we don't have the right stuff to quite yeah. get there yet. So it's it's very bizarre. There was so, a, when I was like researching the story. That's the thing is I couldn't tell if I'd heard it before or if it was brand new because there were so many details that were similar to other stories and we'll get into that. But like the neck, once they started talking about the necktie thing and some yep, other stuff, yep. I was like, have I heard this? There's this just such a common kind of oh, thing. Some of it was reminding me of the Golden State Killer documentary yeah. series. Oh, that's perfect. It's, I mean, I, I hate to say things and always sound excited when we're dealing with brutal death and murder, but like I, I am excited to talk about this thing. So hang on to that. Yeah. All right. So let's get into it. Okay. So it was on July 10th, 1967, and Leota Camp was a 25-year-old woman who lived in Des Moines, Iowa, which is in Polk County, Iowa, and I'm from Polk County, Florida. So there's a nice uh, mm. there's a nice tie-in. And she was married to Raymond Camp who went by Ray. He was also 25 years old. They were renting a small home, 3213 Fleming Avenue in Des Moines. Uh, I have used Google Maps and checked it out. It is a very little cute home with a nice sort of backyard space still there still there it still looks like the same windows too and it doesn't oh, look wow. like there's been any additions or anything over the years the neighborhood itself was very small and quiet 
especially in the 60s, everybody knew everybody. And it wasn't normal to have a lot of traffic or through traffic on the street. It was very much just like its own its own quaint, nice neighborhood. Now, it had been raining the night before, and this morning seemed to be kind of a normal day, and it was going to get hotter throughout the day. It was the summer after all. And in the morning, Ray said goodbye to Leota, and he headed off to work. He worked for the Iowa Employment Security Commission. He was a tabulating equipment operator. I don't know exactly what that means <laughs> but <laughs> it sounds awesome i still can't and, get over the fact that his name is ray and his wife's name is leota i just keep thinking oh of my ray goodness Liotta. i ray never ray, even thought about ray that Liotta. ray leota here we go uh it's <laughs> amazing so leota was a stay-at-home mom they had three children so i mean it makes sense uh they had a baby christine who was about three months old at this time kevin who was four and brenda who is three and in the middle to the late morning, Brenda and Kevin, the two two kids that were not the baby, were in the backyard playing and they were soon joined by Leota, who came out to hang the laundry on the clothesline to dry. Now, some articles I've read from papers back then mentioned that Brenda and Kevin were playing with some of the other neighborhood children in the backyard. That's what, when at the I time. watched the story, they mentioned that. Yeah, not every kids. not every article says that, but enough so that I do think that that was probably true. And here's where things take a dark and strange turn. Leota, she goes back in the house after hanging the laundry, presumably to to feed the baby and prepare lunch for the kids. And just minutes after noon, Brenda and Kevin, they're still outside. They're still playing in the backyard, but they're getting hungry. It's, it's around lunchtime. So they go inside to find their mom and they didn't find her. They found their three-month-old sister, Christine, on the living room floor drinking a bottle of milk you always read this as well being a warm bottle of milk. I don't mm-hmm. know how they know that or if they were testing that, but there was no mommy. So they continue to look around and they eventually find their mother in the home's front bedroom and she was lying face down on the bed. There's blood all over. There was a knife sticking out of her back. Her hands are tied behind her back. Her legs are tied together at the ankles. There's something around her neck, I believe. And there's also a gag in her mouth. All of those things were done by ties, neckties. So she was tied up by neckties and gagged with a necktie. And Kevin, you know, you never know how you're going to react in a situation like this, especially a four-year-old. Kevin removes the knife from her back, probably thinking he's helping his mom. And he sets it down. And I, I just can't imagine how terrifying it would be in this situation. And the two kids... They actually seem to act very smartly. They run out of the house. They go to their next door neighbor's house for help. Her name was Mary Grow, and they tell her that mommy's bleeding, and she runs. She runs next door to uh, the camp's house. She finds Leota in the same state. The kids find her in. Obviously, she runs outside to get more help. And it was another neighbor named Nell Edwards, who apparently was in her front yard when this was all happening, which is probably why. Mary Grow even thought to ask for help because she probably saw Nell Edwards that she was running into the camp house. If I have this correct, and I, I'm pretty sure I do, all three of these houses are next to each other. So this isn't like the catty corner across the street neighbors that came over. It's the no, two yeah. The two story that I was watching on YouTube kind of showed a map, and they were had little initials of people moving. And they kind of mapped yeah. the whole thing out, and yeah. they're and they're really close houses. It's not like a big Iowa sprawling. You know, no, no. And that's a good point because it's kind of like, I don't think at the time that they had fences up between the backyards. So all these neighbors that are now involved in this, they all kind of share that that backyard area. 
Um, so they probably have dinner together. They probably see each other every day. Like these are these are very close neighbors, both in, in proximity and probably socially as well. Now, the two of the women, they come in together. They see Leota on the bed and apparently she's still alive, barely. And she's groaning. She can't talk. They're trying to talk to her. She's just kind of gasping for breath. They called the authorities, police, fire show up. Fire probably shows up for paramedic reasons. And they try to take care of Leota as they rush her to the Broadlands Polk County Hospital. And she was pronounced dead on arrival. So they were not able to, to save her life. Now, according to quotes from Ray Camp, Mary had her husband, Chuck, call Ray at work. And Ray said, he didn't want to tell me. He told me there had been an accident with Leota and I should go to the Broadlands. So Chuck couldn't even, it was so brutal and, and terrifying and, and obviously emotional that Chuck didn't even want, Chuck didn't even want to tell Ray what had happened. Just something's yeah. wrong. Go to the hospital. And so here's what we have, Bill. We have, it's actually a very kind of short story, but one filled with a lot of details and a lot of mystery. We have a murder. Yeah. And there's a woman stabbed in a quiet neighborhood. Kids are nearby, a baby on the floor in the home when this happens. Neighbors are nearby. Nell at Nell is even in her front yard just minutes after this takes place. It's it's a true mystery. And yes, I guess the first question that even just pops into my mind is who killed Leota and why? Yeah. And now, did you uh, read about the details that there was actually two knives? Is that stuff you want to get yeah. into? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to okay. get into that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, and that's funny that you bring that up because you've looked at it so quickly. And I actually didn't read about two knives until like way into my research process. Oh, okay. And I came across, I was like, wait, what? I don't, what? Yeah, that one yeah. you don't normally see. So yeah, I'll get into that in a second. So I, the first thing I want to say, though, is, you know, when, when there's a murder, most times you can kind of figure out motive right away, right? Yeah. Like there's a robbery, there's sexual assault, there's a husband who finds out his wife is cheating on her and decides to kill her or the boyfriend or whatever. You can tie those motives together. That's a very, I mean, it's almost the most important thing in investigations is putting together yeah. the motive. There's really no motive here at all. I have my own theories. I think police had their own, which we'll get into in a minute. Yeah, so not only is there no motive that we can conclusively say, but no one has even been close to being arrested. I, yeah. I could not find any information about like prime suspects. We'll get oh, into really? a witness accounts. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was going to say there was the witness account of the guy. There's a witness account. The, is the plaid shirt or plaid pants? Yep. And the, the but we don't black, know who uh, he is, and okay. I'll get into that in a second. But yeah, with, there's no like, oh, it's Jim. You know, there's no like prime suspect that we can mm -hmm. we can nail down in terms of like name and motive or anything like that. And she was found not sexually assaulted. Nothing was missing from the home. So it's not robbery. And in my, one of the first ideas I had was that it almost seems like an assassination in a way, mm -hmm. like, like a hit job, but very brutal <laughs> for yeah. a hit job. And also all the neckties. Yeah, like, I was going to ask, do they say if the neckties 
like did the person bring those or were they from the home where they raised neckties like did they i didn't hear anything about i those i think they're they're raised neckties yeah and you don't normally see that either and that took me a while to find but i did find a comment from okay because i was wondering somebody. if it was like premeditated where the person brought that or just grabbed stuff was no there. no i didn't see anything I, about if the knives were from like missing from her butcher's block or if they were brought from somewhere else like, they were uh, apparently from her butcher's block both so of them? yeah well yeah both of them okay so Dr. Leo Luca, who was the Polk County medical examiner, he found that Camp had died from four stab wounds in the back and the wounds had penetrated her lungs and she died because of that from internal hemorrhaging. He commented to new newspapers back then that he thought it, it, the murderer was some kook or pervert that killed her. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure he didn't sound like that. Apologies to Iowa people. Um, <laughs> I also so read the, that uh, they were trying to like do was it I don't know if it was CPR back then, but they were trying to re- revive her. They on were the way, on the way, on the seven yeah. minute ride to the hospital and everything. Yeah, and yeah. Just, yeah and, and she was she was too far gone, unfortunately. I wonder if if, if they would have not taken the knife out if that would have helped. helped. Usually, when you have a puncture wound, you're not yeah, supposed you don't to take want it to take it out because it works out. like yeah. a plug. And if it's in her lung, I wonder if that would have helped. You know. That's a good question. And I don't know, especially it's only four stab wounds. And I say only four stab wounds, but like there are other murders that I'll, there's even one I'll bring up later at the end of this that happened in Iowa that where someone had 22 stab wounds. Mm. And so four is an interesting thing, which I'll circle back to with my own. And technically two of them were plugged because the knives were with the knives were in there. So yeah. And, and to specify this, so uh, Des Moines police said the wounds were inflicted by two different knives from the kitchen set. So there you go. One was found on the bedside on bedside, which is presumably the one Kevin took out. And the other one, the body of the knife was stuck in her back and the knife's uh, the the handle had been broken off, Mm -hmm. which shows a lot of force. Yeah, which is an important little fact there. Now, a neighbor, I think her name was Mrs. Dowell. It was actually hard to find because I think they purposefully don't say her name normally, told police of seeing a man in his 20s, about five foot nine, wearing a white and brown plaid shirt, as Bill's already said. Some newspapers say jeans, some just say dark pants or trousers and driving a black or dark blue Ford Mustang. He had parked sort of down the street just a little bit. And then walked kind of diagonally across the yard to the camp home. Some articles say he was a handsome fella. Mm-hmm. Some other articles say he was stocky. I heard uh, stocky, yeah. Yep, yep. So it could also, be both. They said it, it was be both. Um, a six. Was it sixty six or sixty five? I forget. They five, sixty five or sixty six Ford Mustang. Right, the yeah, they said there was like that, louvers on the sides. Louvers on the sides, which is it, that that inset on the door panel? I was looking at a picture. They had a picture of the car. In it's the video it's kind of like on a diagonal angle on the back kind of door. It's it, the part of the the like roof that goes down from the roof to the back. That angling down. There's like louvers, oh, louvers okay. on that. Um, that's hard to describe without showing you a picture. I apologize. Yeah. I don't well, they had right, a picture in the, right the video, permit. but I was looking at the door panel because it had like this inset. It almost looked like gills on the side. Oh, of the no, door. no, no. And then there's fins. There's a lot of like fish stuff on cars. back. There's then. like <laughs> gills on the upper side. So not like on the door itself, but okay. Kind of. I'm trying to use my hands to to gesticulate an angle for Bill because I'm not sure how to say it verbally. He's looking up a picture, though, and I'm I will have up, pictures yeah. of because uh, I know a, louvers on. Oh, OK, those. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. But gills are a good way to, to describe them, I think. I think gills yeah. is a nice. Yeah. Well, it's like, well, then they, the louvers on the back windshield are like the DeLorean style, like those like slats. Oh, yeah. It's almost looks yeah. like a. Uh... It's a good way to say it. I'll have 
pictures of appropriate Mustangs for everybody in my show notes or links to pictures. And I'll put up some photos on Instagram as well. Um, no, that's an important distinction because you're trying to figure out who this was that went to the house. The big key piece of the witness testimony there is the Mustang, which was a very popular car. There's a lot of Mustangs at the time. So people do recognize them. They know Mustangs. And those louvers are important because that helps specify the year. And that's why it's 65 or yeah. 66. And probably narrows it down if that's like an added on feature, if that's not, unless that's a stock feature. Is that a stock feature? I think feature that was a stock. I could be wrong. I feel like I'm back on my TV shows, Autobiography Cold Cases right okay. now. I think that's a stock feature on those years, which is why. Yeah. Oh, no. Sorry, I just go back to my pack. cousin Vinny, where it's like the yeah. pause attraction and like pause figure attraction. out which. <laughs> no, and actually, I should say, I think it's a, a Ford Mustang fastback. Okay, it, it, which had the louver. So yeah, it does. It does specify it down a bit yeah. there. So that is important. As police found out, though, there were hundreds of those cars in uh, the area. So it actually didn't narrow it down, narrow it down enough because yeah. uh, they did. That was like that was the main piece of investigation, evidentiary, you know, sort of stuff that they had to go by investigating this. So they did go down that rabbit hole. Police sound like they really researched and investigated that Mustang angle as much as they could. And it just didn't lead to anybody that kind of fit the description or was in the area at the time or would have had motive or wasn't seen somewhere else. Like it just didn't, it didn't end up helping and you would think it would have. <laughs> now another neighbor saw this man leave the camp home just a little after noon. So he shows up right around noon or a little before crosses diagonally across the yard, goes to the door yeah, because he was parked in, in front of the house next door. Next door. I, yeah. Yeah. And no one knows if he knocked on the door, if the door was unlocked and he snuck in, if he picked the lock and broke into the house, or if, you know, if he did knock on the door, did Leota open it and let him inside? Mm -hmm. And this connects to, to a plausible theory that I don't know if it's true or not, that I'll get to later if he did knock on the door and she opened it and started talking to him which brings up a couple of things we'll get into. Uh, first, I, I just it is in my notes here. So apparently there were hundreds of calls with tips in the days after the murder, and none of them led to anything substantial. And they did look at hundreds of cars and car owners that also did not lead to anything substantial. Detector, Detective Robert Weichman of Des Moines PD helped create a, a sketch using the witness testimony of the potential killer. Uh, however, this did also not lead to anything substantial at the time. So there is a, a, a police sketch, which I will also try to link to in my show notes. Oh, it looks like Bill's looking. I want to see right the now. sketch. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's like a really old photocopy. Oh yeah. There's the, most of them are bad photocopies every now and then you can't find it. There's a, I think there's a couple newspaper articles from back then I've found that have a better Okay. Quality image. Anyway, I'm going to have you, if you don't mind, Bill, I'm going to have you read an article from the Des Moines Tribune published sure. on July 11th, 1967. So this isn't yeah. that first block I gave you. Okay. Des Moines Police Tuesday were attempting to establish a motive to aid in the search for the slayer of a young housewife fatally stabbed in her home here about noon Monday. The victim... Mrs. Leota Camp, 25, was near death when a neighbor woman found her lying face down on a bed, gagged with her hands and legs bound with neckties. Police Tuesday declined to say whether any fingerprints were found on the murder weapon or elsewhere in the camp home. 
Captain Cletus Leeming, chief of detectives, said evidence was still being sifted Tuesday and that no motive has been determined. It does not appear to be a sex crime, and from all appearances, nothing was taken. So interesting how they word things back then. It's so, like, hard to to read things. The sentences feel backwards. (laughs) Anyways. Uh, Yeah. Language, you know, it evolves and changes. So it is always, even though it was in the 1960s. I do want to make one correction. I think you said it does not appear to be a sex crime, but he actually said it does appear. Oh, it does. Oh, sorry. I was projecting that because I... Uh, yeah, because she was not sexually about. assaulted. So yeah. I, I wanted to share that article specifically because of that that line, because mm-hmm. we talked about lack of motive. And still to this day, we're not sure of We can't be 100% sure of a motive. But police did appear to be leaning towards a sex crime. And yeah, it's got all the hallmarks of that. And that's worthy of our attention and, and thinking. And one piece of evidence that does point to that sex crime motive is that she could have had the stalker type person or someone that uh, had a sort of his his eye on her with bad intentions. And the theory behind this stems from a phone call that you even mentioned to me before yeah. that the camp family received just a few weeks prior. So this, I'm going to have you read this article. This is the second one I gave you, okay. which uh, refers to this phone call. All right. On July 14, 1967, the Des Moines Register reported that Mrs. Camp had received an obscene phone call a few weeks prior to her death. Raymond Camp told the Register his wife received the anonymous call about one and a half or two weeks before the 4th of July, and that when she answered, a man asked, Where have you been? Thinking it might be a friend kidding her, Leota told the caller she'd been feeding the baby, to which he replied, I thought maybe you were blank an obscene expression camp told authorities he didn't want to repeat the word the man said their home phone number mr camp said wasn't even in the phone book what is that what is that obscene expression because they said the same thing in the no yeah i don't know it's uh i mean i would guess something sexual um is what i'm going to assume and yeah so they did not recognize the voice of that caller and they talked with neighbors about it. They had told friends about it, but the the caller never did call back. Now, I will be quick to point out that doesn't mean whoever called did this, mm-hmm. but it is interesting. It is yeah. close in time to the murder, and it does bring up some questions that will go into some potential theories that I have yeah. or you may have or people out there may have had over the years of this case. Uh, before we get into that, though, over the years, the family has offered rewards for, in, for any information that may lead to an arrest. And even though there were hundreds of tips over the years, none of them have led to anything remotely getting close to solving this crime or even a good suspect. So here's where I'm at. I don't know where to go next because there really isn't a lot of evidence to consider that we didn't go over here today that yeah. I'm aware of anyway. Well, I have some questions. And if that's what I was about to say is we can ask questions about this yeah. and start to fine tune some things. And I do have some some theories. But yeah, what, what's your first question? Well, my first question is, so the phone number is unpublished, but they got a call. So mm-hmm. it leads either it's somebody who's randomly dialing numbers or someone who knows their number. Yeah. But obviously he said that he asked for her, right? Like they were asking for the wife. Yes. And it, and this is a good question because it, 
if you take what you're talking about right now, which is someone presumably knew their number. Yeah. Or knew Leota and wanted to call her. The person that came to kill her parked just not right in front of their house, but nearby, mm-hmm. crossed the yard, went straight to the camp's house. He didn't park yeah. in front of somebody else's house and go to that neighbor first. He parked and walked straight to the, the house. If we if we believe everything the witness says anyway. Yeah. He somehow gets inside the house, whether it's door unlocked, which may may have been the case or broke in or she let him in. If she let him in, that also may tie to her knowing him. So not only is that the phone number that the person may have known walked straight to the house, meaning he knows where he's going, could have been let inside. Whoever killed her may have been somebody that she knew. She may have known him intimately, not intimately. It could have been an acquaintance, but somebody that could have gotten inside. Yeah, because that is there one... no screams, you know, before yeah. he gagged. Obviously, she was gagged, but there had to be a moment where and if those neighbors were out on the front lawn, like the one yeah. next door, I mean, the houses are very close. You would kind of hear very close sort of thing. Also, the kids would have said they were in the backyard. They would have yeah. heard a scream and no one heard a scream. And there is another way to look at that, which I'm going to I'm just jumping around here because that's part of part of kind of formulating these thoughts. Yeah. But some people think maybe she came inside after hanging up laundry and whoever this was was already in the house and surprised oh. her and caught her. Yeah. And that's why she couldn't scream. Have yeah. yeah. Something like that, uh, which could that could have happened, too. But when, I think when you combine it with the way the guy walked up to the house and thinking about the potential phone call tie in, I, I do think somebody may have targeted her and maybe she knew who he was. Yeah. Which leads to my next question. Did they cross-reference people that they knew with people that owned that car? Obviously, there's hundreds in the area, but did anybody they know appear on that list of people that own that car? So I don't know because I never came across that. I've had that same question, too. I can assume yes, because it seems like they really went down that rabbit hole of that car. Mm -hmm. And because of all the things that we're talking about, I think even very unexperienced police investigators would be asking the same questions. So, you know, like I'm not a detective, so I'm thinking of these things. I'm sure an actual real investigator is going to think of these things and go down that rabbit hole. Well, back in the day, they like would let things. I mean, I don't feel like things were as dialed in, you know, that that may be true, but I still think that full effort was given. You know, I think this was a this is a place I I actually read the stats of murders in the area and I can't remember them offhand, but there were like six unsolved murders from the last 10 years previous to this, which isn't that's a lot, but that's not a lot when you consider this is I think Des Moines, the largest city in Iowa. So it it they they're trying their best. I, I really yeah. haven't read or heard or come across anything that seems like the police department wasn't giving mm-hmm. their full attention that was necessary to this. And was there anything I, similar that happened in the area, like to lead towards this being like a serial yes, instance? Yes. So okay, so that'll lead into something I read before we I'm go sure. down that rabbit hole. Yeah. I also just want to throw out the comment yeah. of like, you know, what happened to the knife handle, and also point out that. I mean, back in the 50s and 60s, things were just made so much better, like built to last. Like all of my tools that I have that are vintage tools, like are still around and still running. And so the thought of like snapping the handle off of a knife, assuming the knife where it's like the blade goes into the handle and then there's like a wood handle around Mm -hmm. it, um, that would take a lot of force. So yeah, Yeah. just wondering where that... 
I, well you know, met. I never, that's the big thing that's been standing out to me because I never read anything that was like, oh, and the handle was on the floor or whatever. Yeah. So I never read that they found the handle. Yeah, he probably took it. I mean, if that has fingerprints on it, although yeah. they never even mentioned if there was fingerprints on. The I don't think they, they found fingerprints. Found. I, I don't okay. think they found fingerprints. Uh, and if anybody knows more than we're saying today, please reach out to me at studyofstrange at gmail.com. I love to find out when I'm wrong or when I need to know more. So please, yeah. <laughs> please reach out, especially a case like this. This is important. This is still, I think, solvable. So if you have any information that can help lead to anything, please reach out to us or the Des, Mo- Des Moines Police Department. And I'll have links in my show notes for that, too. Now, can you imagine someone like buying like a used 65 Mustang at auction and finding the handle like in the truck yeah. or something like that's it's totally uh, it, look weird, weirder things have happened. And one of the things I was going to save to the end, but I'll, I'll bring up right now before I go into this other theory is DNA. Like, is there still stuff from this crime scene that's in possession of the police or in storage somewhere where we might be able to extract DNA from something that could lead to somebody else because obviously they weren't they weren't doing that in 1967 yeah. and that goes into the golden state stuff that we were talking about yeah yeah um so here's the here's something interesting that popped up in my research that does tie into uh, just inkling into some of the the theories that we've already briefly kind of touched on iowa cold cases there's a website where you can read about a bunch of Iowa cold cases. A lot of states have have websites like this because they want you know potential information that can help them solve things. And on Iowa cold cases, this is a relatively well known story. Like you can find other articles and blogs and all sorts of stuff about this case. So this is nothing new. So there's a lot of commenters, and I hate reading comments on anything because it's terrible. However, I do force myself to do it when I'm researching because every now and then you get a nugget of something that leads you down something else. And there is a commenter on Iowa cold cases that has a theory. And I think he's even written a book or something like it. I don't want to say who he is because I feel weird doing that without permission, but everybody can go on Iowa cold cases uh, and I'll have links to it so you can read about them. But this person claims that uh, Leota was a target from a an arrested person who's a convicted rapist and counterfeiter, to be specific, someone named John Mike DeBartolabin. I worked on saying his name, and now I can't say it right. DeBartolabin? DeBart- I think it's DeBartolabin. And like I said, he's con- a convicted rapist and a counterfeiter. He was arrested by the Secret Service in 1983. He died in 2011 in prison. He was found or suspected to have committed a lot of very serious sex crimes. He was not brought to trial for any murders, though he is a suspect in many murders. And his modus operandi was apparently to pretend he was a real estate agent and knock on doors, which is interesting when you think about the guy in the Mustang. Now, was he in Iowa at this time? Did he drive a Mustang? I don't know. I can't find out those things. The the sketch of the, the potential criminal does appear to be somewhat similar to DeBartolabin. Um, however, can you look up DMV records? Is that something people can do? Uh, to to a certain extent, yes. Yes, you can. Um, I have not done that myself, but I, <laughs> there is a way to do that. And he is a suspect in another Iowa cold case from 1969, a Dorothy Miller, and Miller was found raped and stabbed 22 times in her home mm. in Des Moines County. So there's no direct tie to DeBartolabin to 
Leota camp that I can find outside of this commenter who's done his own interest, uh, interesting research. He does seem to have confirmation bias. I'm just taking that from from the comments because it seems like he has his own work he's trying to draw and draw attention to. Uh, but it is interesting. Debutter Levin was was a criminal. This is <laughs> this is a convict that has a crazy story that I, I read all about. Like he could be an episode of this show on his own. Um, and just the idea of like this, someone knocks on the door, they're a real estate agent. Hey, I'm interested in buying your home and selling it. Or are you selling the home? Or, you know, all those different ways that you can knock on a door and get somebody to trust you right away. Yeah. And and that brings up something too. I meant to mention this earlier, talking about all the theories, but the reason there may not have been sexual assault is because the kids came in the house and that could have scared him off. Or he heard the kids in the backyard and was like, oh wait, yeah. there's too many people nearby. I thought it was just the baby because he would have seen the baby, but like, oh, give the baby milk, leave the baby alone. So I think he could have been interrupted by the kids and ran out of the house. Yeah, or he could have, if she was struggling and he had to stab her beforehand, that might have led him to then try to flee early. Like maybe he was planning to do it, you know, yeah, assault first and then murder. Possibly, possibly. Yeah, yeah I don't. I, that is yeah, that's knows? a good that's a good question. But yeah, if you Debartle have been since he's a suspect in this person that was sexually assaulted and stabbed in Iowa two years later, that is. It, it, it's an interesting connection. It's no yeah. more than that, but it's an interesting connection. Yeah. Now I want to know what kind of cars he had registered in his name around that time. If it was even his yeah. name, if he's a counterfeiter, he yeah. might be also, you know, able to. Yeah, me too. Identity. That's that's definitely worth looking into. Uh, yeah. So. I have all these other notes, Bill, but a lot of them just already kind of comment on things that you've brought up. Uh, just to kind of debunk it right away, a lot of people, yeah. not a lot of people, when there is a murder and it involves a spouse, the first suspect is always the other spouse. Mm-hmm. And I, to me, Ray does not seem like a suspect at all. Well, I'm sure they, they could seem... confirm he was at work, too. If oh, they definitely were. They were literally punching in and out. And Yep. They, they Obviously, they also called him at work. Yeah. So he wasn't there. Did he hire somebody to kill her? He seems like a very loving, loving father. The family are all still close to this day. They are alive today. Uh, I don't think he'd be like, yeah, let me uh, let me hire somebody to kill my wife while my three young kids who can't take care of themselves are home alone. Like that doesn't seem to be uh, something that makes a lot of sense. So just because I know a lot of people will jump to that without knowing much about the case, but Ray was not in my mind, uh, a suspect in this, nor should he be now. Did they test blood in the room? Like, could the killer have scratched himself or cut himself? And could that blood still be around on some evidence that's in a locker somewhere? I'm not sure. I don't know the state of all that kind of stuff, but that could be interesting to do too, especially when it comes to Debarlaben. We could see if we could tie blood or DNA to him. However, I don't think anybody's done that. I'm not sure there's enough. There's enough there to make that happen with law enforcement, but I could be wrong. Um, But yeah, that is, that's the mystery of the cold case of Leota camp. Like I said, it's really not a long story, but it is, it's bizarre. Yeah. 
And it reminds me of other cases, like I mentioned, the Velisca axe murder. And you mentioned yeah. the Golden State Killer, too. So yeah, do you want to talk that. about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it just reminded me of how, I mean, the, and the thing we were talking about was, you know, we sort of touched upon how back then maybe they didn't have the best procedures. And it, that's what reminded me of the Golden State Killer was because you had these two areas within the same state of California up in the north and then down in the south where similar crimes were happening, but they they weren't talking to each other. The departments weren't interconnected back then. Um, so just being able to even trace this to other things like, again, back in the day, there was drifters, like you talked about the railroad murders, like yeah. interstates were, you know, kind of getting built out more. And so the ability for people to kind of murder along a trail, but in these districts where people aren't talking to each other and checking on what other stories are happening nearby so much more probable um if you ever do a golden state killer episode by the way um you should have my mom on because she was living in sacramento when that was going on like i remember we were talking about the show and she's like oh yeah you know i was living there when that was happening i remember like all that stuff and like all the craziness of like what was going on i was like i didn't know this and then recently she's been talking about how all she wants to do is start a podcast and how do you do it and all this stuff. So she would just go nuts to be on. on the That's right. I mean, Hey, I'm, I'm so, yeah. sold. Let's do if it. You ever, if you ever get into happen. that, yeah, have her on yeah. for sure. Well, now I need to do that. <laughs> That's <laughs> it's a really good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, thank you so much, Bill. I, I don't think there's much more to go over in this. If anybody does have information about who potentially killed Leota Camp, I will have links in my show notes on how you can get in touch with the appropriate authorities to pass on that information. It is still an active cold case. They are still hoping to be able to solve this. And I know the family, uh, the camp family itself is still actively trying to figure out what happened to Leota as well. It's a very sad story. It's very brutal. It's very terrifying. And, you know, by by sharing something more modern, which has not been my usual <laughs> type of episode, um, yeah, I do want to say the part of the reason why you want to explore stories like this is you never know what may lead to actually solving it. So take an interest in things like this if you're into true crime, everybody. Uh, thank you, Bill, for being on. Yeah, no Do you want to pl- plug any of your stuff where people might find you? I mean, I don't have anything new to plug, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, if, if, we get, if we get the movie made, we'll have to do an episode on some real life vampire stories. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Get into that. Uh, All right. Well, thanks a lot, Bill. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, no problem. And that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Bill Weirdy. Please support the show by following or subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you can take a moment to leave a review, that would be much appreciated. You can also support the show by checking out our Patreon account, which you can find through our website, astudyofstrange.com, where you can find exclusive additional content, episodes that are unedited, and all sorts of fun goodies there. We have some more true crime episodes coming up in the near future. So check in, check back often. You can follow us on Instagram to get updates on releases. And that'll do it. Thank you, and good night. <laughs>